behind the shades. I so respect my drives now. The peace to listen to what I want to listen to on my way to work. Um, to make my little stops if I want, you know, a, a vanilla chai tea. <laughs> a little thing. A little thing. I definitely miss. But yeah. other than that, I'm good. I don't think I can work from home. I, I just, it's not me. It's not me. Um, mm -hmm. Similar to what you're saying, like I miss, well, not sorry, I don't miss, but I enjoy the drive, even though it's about 30 minutes away. I appreciate more now than I did before because it's like your escape. Right. I understand that. Yeah. So why don't we officially get started? I want to welcome everyone to another episode of Behind the Shades. I have my lovely new best friend here, baby. <laughs> <laughs> and why yeah. don't you introduce yourself and tell people a little bit about yourself as we get started here. Okay, so my name is Katie Onateri. Um, I am a full-time therapist and I have a private practice where I see people um, for different issues, including substance use and um, other things. Um, I'm a mother of two little boys and a wife and I... I'm just out here living life, <laughs> balancing it all. <laughs> so I guess one thing I want, would want to ask you as soon as we start here is, how is life as a mother and a, and a wife? Um, so I enjoy life as a mother. Um, you know, one thing for me, so I, I'm a therapist. Like I said before, so I hold different hats. And as a mother, you know, you want the best for your kids. You want to make sure that the way you're parenting is the right way, which is um, interesting because as a therapist and being in school for that, you have to do the work on yourself. You have to do a lot of, uh, you know, if you need a therapist, you go see a therapist. You have to do a lot of self-assessments and one of the things that I know um, is that my parenting, I didn't want it the same as I was parented. And not that it was all bad, because it wasn't, but it was very um, generational. And what I mean by that is that my mom, she's an African-American who grew up in the South. So, you know, if you do something wrong, you're going to get hit, spanked. Don't talk. If you're talking back, if you're talking to me, you're talking back. So, you know, minimize um, like your interaction with them. So it's just like whatever your mother say, that's it. And I felt like I didn't have that freedom to express myself. So I try to parent different in the way that I want my kids to be open. I want them to be able to talk to me. I don't want them to be scared to talk. Um, but there are situations where I find myself where I'm like, no, that's something your mama would have done, <laughs> you know? So just trying to track it and, and adjust that. Um, but I love it. I mean, it's fun. Little people are so much fun. Um, it's amazing to watch them grow. Um, and then on the other side of me parenting is that I'm very strict when it comes to education. So my dad is Nigerian. And he was raised in Nigeria and he is very strict about education. So because he instilled that in us, like I'm very big when it comes to my kids' education. Although they're small, they're six and three, but I just believe, I, and for instance, for Christmas, I did not 
want to buy them a lot of presents and gifts. However, my husband, he grew up where like, you know, you spoil your kids because, you know, it's, we're happy to do it. We have the means to do it. And I just don't see the value in that. I'm more like, <laughs> they don't need it, you know, they're going to grow out of these stages. Um, so, so you know, so with parenting and, and being a wife, there are different roles. The similarity is that there's love there, but you love differently. Like you love, you know, your kids in a different way than you love your husband, of course, or your significant other. Um, and the wrong, and also with kids, you know, you easy to forgive them, you know. The husband, you know, it takes time <laughs> <laughs> and patience. So it's so many similarities: time and patience, and uh, different things like that. Did I answer your question? Absolutely, absolutely. And that's interesting because, like, you're giving maybe a therapeutic take on it, right? Where you can say that there is a difference where some people may say that it's the same thing. Yeah, you know what? I love my husband like I love my kids. I love my kids like I love my spouse. I love my spouse and so on, right? But your response, I feel, is one that comes from your background where you're saying that, you know, the patience I have with my spouse is different than the patience I have, patience I would have with my kids. The love that I may have for him is different, not better or worse, just different than the ones I have mm -hmm. for my kids. Did you find that during your self-assessment period, did you find out things about yourself outside of maybe the parenting aspect that you're like, wow, I'm surprised I do this this way. Is it possible for me to make sure I don't pass that on to our children? Because you mentioned generational mm -hmm. discipline, right? So you want to make sure that I didn't pass this down because it's something that is a part of me that I necessarily didn't realize until I did that self-assessment. Oh, that's a really good question. Um, so it's a little bit of both. I think it's a little bit of life. Uh, so, you know, one thing that I like to keep in mind as I did my self-assessment is that situations are definitely different. Like my parents made my situation better than they had their life growing up, right? So when I say generational, I know that my, my grandpa on my mom's side from the South, my matter of fact, my uh, great grandpa was a, a slave down in Alabama. So that's how close that generational thing, uh, generational of what, I don't know if you ever heard of what they call the, um, the slave syndrome. I forget the whole name, but basically uh, people from the, people who were enslaved were taught to act a different way because they wanted to keep their minds enslaved as well. And so in that, that generational pattern that happened that was meant to keep them slaves continued on after slavery, of course. And so one of the things is um, discipline, for instance. So, you know, the whippings with the belt, like that is definitely generational. Um, parents say things like, you know, this is the love. This is, and it may be very well true that their them whipping with the belt is in love because that's the only way they understood of how to discipline their child, right? This is what's best for you because my parents did it to me. So I say that to say um, that my mother um, 
always discussed her father who was physically abusive to them. And she is a sibling of, I think it's 14 of them. Um, and so with that, she didn't want that for us. But she had moments where she would lose her temper and she would find herself doing the same thing. So it's the generational pattern and we have to intentionally know how to change certain things. Um, so for me, I just knew that, that I, it has to change. It can't go on. My kids need to be free to be able to express themselves. Um, because when they turn 30 and 40 years old, I don't want them just just now understanding how to identify emotion and to express how they're feeling to others, right? Because we didn't know back then that those things were affecting how we communicate and how effective we are, right? So, um, that was important. That was important in my parenting. So it was a little bit of knowledge and it was my assessment and it was, you know, I didn't have kids early on. Um, I did school first and then I had my first child when I was 30, 32, something like that. I'm not going to date my age, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... Do you think um, sometimes because of those experiences and when they're passed down and the inability to maybe identify and express our emotions, do you feel that maybe that's why mental health issues are so prevalent? Because not only do we ignore them, we are not properly trained to even express them. Yeah, absolutely. Um... That is where a lot of the stigma comes in in certain communities. Um, a lot of stigma about mental health. Uh, so there has definitely been situations where people don't know what mental health is, right? Until it becomes extreme and it's out of control and it's like, oh, something's wrong with that person. But signs have always been there, but we, our people, don't know how to identify that um, when you don't, when you're not in the field, or when it's something that you don't talk about in families, right? So we had to, um, so learning to, just that education. That's one of the things I do. I do give education to the community about mental illness and what it looks like, because there is a difference between mental illness and mental health. And I think people get that confused and interchange those things. So mental health is more of, you know, your well-being. You want to make sure that you stay healthy, like physical health, right? You work out because you want to make sure you stay healthy and your heart rate is stays up and all those things. So the same thing with mental health is that you want to do things or you want to identify things that's bothering you in the inside. So you want to make sure that you come up with different coping skills, healthy ones that can help you along the way. Um, but what happens when you don't know how to have mental health, it starts to become a mental illness. If you, if you don't know how to identify a mental illness, you may not know that that is what's forming. And... And you mentioned that you help with the community in identifying that. Like, when they get to you or when you're involved, do you get them early enough? Like, because you definitely gave the breakdown of mental health and mental illness, right? Do you get them at the point where their mental health maybe 
is breaking down and they just need to strengthen it or is it more so that you're seeing people at the point where now they have a full-blown mental illness and you have to work a little bit harder to maybe assist them in that regard yeah so remember i told you i wear different hats (laughs) (laughs) so my full-time job i actually work in a psychiatric facility so at that point, I see them, um, and I do core occurring, so I do mental health and substance use disorders. So I see them when it's extreme, it's at that mental illness, um, whether it's their first time or this is someone who comes um, a couple times a year, whatever the case may be. In my private practice, I do, uh, I have two sides. I have an education side that I go out in the community and hopefully I'm getting them at the beginning before they get to the mental illness. And then my other side is I just, I, I see clients and usually an outpatient when I see clients, they're strengthening their mental health or they may have had episodes where they realize, okay, so this is not right. Like something's up with me. Um, or people tell them, maybe you should see a therapist. So I see them before they get too deep into a mental illness. So it may still be at the surface. Um, On the surface, if you weren't aware, cognizant of where you are, you would think there's nothing wrong with these people. On the surface, right? Just looking at them, their interactions, some of them, right? And then there's others that, to your point, that it's very visible that they're going through something. Um, And I think that's where it gets a little bit confusing maybe for like people like me who's not in the field or people who are just outside looking in because you can look at someone, someone can look at me, someone can look at you and think we're living the best life possible, right? But Mm -hmm. deep down, we have our demons. In our mind, we have things that we're going through and that's where I want to, and that's why I would love to have this conversation with you because at least it can raise and say that, you know what? Someone may look great on the inside, I'm sorry, on the outside, but you don't know what is underneath. So what would your advice be for like someone like us who's on the outside saying that, you know what? We want to do more, but we don't know how to identify or maybe understand that this person needs more. Okay, that's really um, good to talk about. So let's start with how we address people, like stigmas and the words that we say. So, um, and you didn't mean anything by it, but you used the word demons. So when you say demons, what do you mean by that? I mean, there's some conflict that they're going through, right? Um, something that they're battling because at the end of the day, each and every one of us have our own stresses, have our own triggers, right? Right. But maybe this is a group of people that whatever conflict is inside them is is getting to the point where it's overwhelming. That's my understanding of of mental health before it becomes like a mental illness. Like they don't know how to fight back, I guess maybe is is the word I would use, or they don't know how to, um, embrace it. And resolve it yeah so you make really good points but i did want to highlight that because um mental health is one of those topics that is very diverse very intricate so you can break it down in cultural aspects religious aspects and then just new age you know new age era uh whatever you want to call it so 
the reason why I wanted to go over demons because naturally people say that and mean no harm. However, there's religious people who actually believe that when someone has a mental illness that they have the demons coming out of them or culture even um, like of Haitian descent uh, who different people who believe in like witchcraft things like that so mental health can be a very hard topic and that's where a lot of the taboos and the stigmas comes because what are the beliefs that people have first before they encounter someone with mental illness and this is the reason why people who do have things going on don't want to tell other people oh they're gonna think i'm possessed oh i'm crazy you know people don't like to be called crazy so i think that it starts with how we address and how we identify and really learning even people who are suffering with mental illness from what i understand so let me just go back and just tell you a little bit about the core occurring um so let's use um marijuana because that's just a common drug and i see a lot of cases where uh, young people are coming in because they use k2 or they're just smoking marijuana but like big amounts of it k2 is a fake marijuana there's different names all over i don't know what people other people call it but spice is another name i mean there's a uh, 101 names for this <laughs> substance but so it's a fake marijuana it's not from the plant um but it has been known to to cause a lot of psychosis in people psychosis is when you have a mental breakdown right um and so Sometimes, or a lot of times, people already have things going on with them. So they may have anxiety already, they may have depression, they may have things going on that they never talk about or been able to pinpoint, like, oh wait, that's actually depression. Oh, that might be anxiety, right? And so then they smoke marijuana because it makes them feel better. Oh, it calms my nerve or it makes me chill, you know. So if you already have a mental health issue and then you do those things, for a while you may be you may feel like you're okay like there's nothing wrong but the thing about our bodies and how powerful our brain is is that throughout life there's a book it's called the body keeps the score um which is talks about trauma and it talks about how you go through life and you have these different traumatic events now trauma response you your body responds to trauma different than any like you comparing yourself right so every time you have an event so let's say i get in a really bad accident at the age of seven and i recall it that may be traumatic for me where most people ah, i just got an accident i'm okay for some people no that's that's traumatic um even if someone doesn't die just the fact that they've seen what happened that's a traumatic event um at the age of 12 maybe somebody was molested that's another traumatic event brain is keeping up with that like it's weighing on that so then that's more um things you're putting on your body because your brain's not fully developed at that age so you're putting a substance on your brain while your brain's not fully developed to make proper decisions so now that's more things added on so usually by the age of 2021 20, maybe you lose a job or something like that so those things can trigger for someone to go into a deep psychosis where they may start acting different. 
they may start behaving different. And all along, they didn't tell anyone about, well, I was in my room for three weeks, didn't want to do what I wanted to do. I was acting out in this behavior because really, I'm really, really sad and hurt and I don't know why. So they never discussed those things, but they've been keeping it and dealing with life. <sighs> or if I tell my parent and I'll say, you know, something's wrong with me. Yeah, something is wrong with you. You didn't, you know, it's just not ever the response that you want to hear when you're dealing with this mental health because you don't even know what's going on. So my point in going into all that and talking about trauma and how the body keeps the score is that when people get to the level of being in a psychiatric facility, they have ha may have had all the signs in the world, but they had learned to push it down, cover it up, or not voice, or, or haven't even been asked the appropriate questions to talk about these things. Do you think that comes down to maybe um, communication? or listening. And the reason why I would ask that is if I were to ask you to explain to me some of the issues that you're going through, you would know because you're in that field and you could probably convey your emotions effectively for me to understand, right? But let's say it's someone that's, this is fresh to them. They've had that traumatic experience when they're eight or nine years old. How would they properly communicate that experience to to the point where the average person can say, you know what, maybe you should seek this. Like, what would be your recommendation to that person? Yeah, it's behavior. It's absolutely behavior. Um, so for instance, if you notice something, so it depends on the age too that we're talking about. Are you talking about a kid? Are you talking about a teen? Are you talking about? Let's say probably young, young adult. Young adult, young adult. Okay. Yeah, probably let's say 18, 19, or let's say someone in their 20s. Okay. So if this person is usually an outgoing person and then all of a sudden they just don't feel like doing things that they used to do and it's not so for so let's talk about uh, like everyday living. It's okay to be sad. So if you see someone that's sad, that's not an issue. That's a normal emotion. Someone is expressing their emotions. It's okay to be angry. It's just what you do with that anger. So every emotion you experience is natural. It's the natural response. However, if someone becomes angry and they um, act out of rage and their behaviors is just uncalled for, that's a sign. If... Um, someone is sleeping all the time. That's a sign. If someone, if you notice that someone is not getting sleep at all, that's a big sign. Um, if you notice that the way people eat is another sign, eating too much, eating too little, those are signs. So there's a lot of different signs. And if you see these signs, you know, there's just a couple questions to ask them. You know, how are you feeling? You know, what's going on? I noticed you're not eating too much. Are you okay? You know, and then just start a report with them. Um, if you don't know what to say, then maybe just say, hey, why don't you talk to somebody? This is a number. Um, there's so many therapist directories that you can find that will help you um, find someone. So one of the, the main uh, therapy directories is 
psychology today. That's one. Um, another one is, it depends on what kind of clinician you're looking for. Some people like clinicians that look like them. So there's directories for that. Clinicians of color is one. Um, psychology today. Uh, my better life. There's a couple of them. And also you can go to my website. Um, it's www.idayselfcare.com where you can look for those resources as well. I have free resources there. I think that's important because um, where I work, we, we offer, um, we do offer that as part of to all the employees as part of the services, um, the health and wellness service and the, the benefits and, and things of that nature. Um, because my concern especially being responsible for people is that you don't know what someone's going through that day. Like, you know, there could be a day where I observe someone um, acting in a way that is not um, in line with their normal behavior, right? And you mm -hmm. can ask the question and, and you've probably experienced that. You can see in their face that something mm -hmm. is going on, but their words are saying, no, I'm okay. It's just, mm -hmm. it's just one of those days, right? Mm -hmm. um, I'm guessing that's probably at the point where it's so early, where even the smallest of maybe um, interaction with that person can prevent them from um, it going worse. Is that accurate to say? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. My motto is always be kind because you don't know what people are going through, right? So in that, it's as simple as hi, or just stopping and really, because we naturally just say, hi, how are you doing? But don't mean it, right? <laughs> <laughs> just something we do. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, actually taking the time and look at them, somebody in the eye and saying, how are you doing? Um, I've, I have done that a couple of times and people are like, Oh, wow. Thank you. I'm like, for what? Like, you really meant it when you asked how I was doing. I'm like, oh, yeah, I did. <laughs> how are you doing? <laughs> um, so, like, little things like that, it goes a long way because you never know what anyone is going through. Absolutely. And it's very important to always remind them about the different resources you have through the job. So, even though, and I actually do... Uh, trainings and, and things about this uh, for the workplaces for people. Um, so one of the tips that I give in those trainings is that you never know what people are going through, but if they have a resource available to them and is reminded of it, they might actually use it because it's better for them to talk to the resource than to tell their boss their business, right? Absolutely. So, so as a manager or, you know, anything, I think it's very important to just remind people of the resources, have a good holiday, you know, uh, remember we have these um, resources, utilize them. A lot of the times those resources is also good for their family members, or if it's not them directly, that it's a family member that's going through something because that still affects the person. Like if their child's going through something or their spouse, still very stressful. So that's very, very important. Do you find any um, parallels, like the people that come to you, do you find any parallels between what they're going through and their job? Or is it more so that um, their personal life, let's say their relationship, has a bigger impact on their mental health versus their job? Like, Do you find any commonalities between the two when it comes to the, the, the group of people that you would deal with? 
it's person-based, but I will say that work affects home life and home life affects work. In what ways? So if you have a job that you absolutely don't like or you feel like you need that you could be doing better, you're not going to be happy at work. And if you're not happy at work, then you're not going to want to go to work. So when you go home, you're going to be thinking about everything you have to do the next day at work and how you don't like work (laughs) and vice versa. If you don't like home, you're going to be at work thinking about how you got to get off and go deal with what's going on at home. So it's a cycle. It's an affected cycle. So is, so is that saying, and you probably heard this, you know, um, my home is my kingdom. This is where mm-hmm. is my safe point. Is that is that still true, or is that more so like a nice thing to say, more of like a myth? Um, it, I mean, it's just person to person based. Um, meaning, like for some people who live alone, maybe their home is their sanctuary because they don't, you know, it's just them. Or even someone who's in a relationship, that's an understanding that they have. Like, hey, when we're home, we have a time and a window to talk about our issues with each other. But other than that, we're gonna deal with this during these times. You know, like there's, I've, so that's the interesting thing about couples work and families, like is their rules, right? There's no set rules. And so the family makes their own. So you either have the, uh, verbally said rules or what everyone just do a natural rule that just happens so you know it's it's so home is what people make it so if there's no communication no type of consequence for doing certain things then the home may be chaotic and no structure um so it's just really honestly person to person based situation to situation Do you have any safeguards that you have implemented from what you've learned to strengthen and protect your mental health, as well as those who are important and loved by you? Yes, absolutely. So, so I practice a lot of self-care myself and self-love because my job is stressful um, and I need to have protected energy for my family. Like that type of environment that I work in, I can't take that home because it's not fair to them, right? So, you know, that's why my drive back and forth to work in between is so important because I can make that transition. Um, But now, since we're in a pandemic, that transition is a little bit different because most people are working from home. So I always encourage, it's so important that you find a way to transition your work from your home because now the lines are very blurred, right? Now you just walk out the room and you're in home. Hi, I'm home. (laughs) Whereas before you had a little bit more time. So maybe when you, um, check out a work, maybe just sit there a couple minutes to gather thoughts or play music, whatever you need to do to ground yourself, to focus, to, uh, to get, to adjust for your family and vice versa. You know, when you leave from being with your family and you have to log into work, maybe you just go in the room or whatever space you're in and ground yourself to focus for work. Um, so there's just so many different things. So for myself and my family, you know, I 
in the mornings I do a, a face routine actually like and it's the simple things and that's the thing about self-care is that self-care is what you do to make yourself feel good right what self-care is not is not protecting your boundaries it's not self-care is not doing things you don't want to do self-care is not things that make you feel horrible um so and it, and it can be simple and it doesn't always have to be money when you think about self-care because right now on the internet it's everybody's talking about self-care this self-care that and then they're trying to get you to purchase things <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. I do have a self-care shop, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I also give free tools and resources of things that you can do, right? And, you know, for a lot of people, shopping is part of their self-care. <laughs> so, so that's why I say it's person-to-person -person based. And, you know, with me, I always do individual plans everybody's situation is different we are diverse people um no matter your cultural color like we're all have our own things so that's important so actually for this past school year for my son he was struggling with writing so he was leaving kindergarten to first grade and unfortunately the pandemic cut through his kindergarten year so he was learning all those important things about writing and reading and um, so he had to do homeschool. And no one had a plan because the pandemic just happened. And I found that it was very, very difficult for a five-year-old to stay engaged and to do this different type of learning. So he kind of struggled with that and just struggling with the fact that, what, I'm at home doing school? Like, this is awkward. So this summer, I tried to do little tasks with him to keep him on par, but I noticed that his writing wasn't the best. Um, and you know, once again, age. So he just turned six in August, um, but he absolutely, like I'll say, okay, well, you know, write your name or you just read a book, good job. Can you write what happened in the story? And he'll just completely have a fit. Like, I don't like to write and everything else. And I'm like, you're six. How do you <laughs> how do you hate work already? You have many, 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 many more years of school. Oh, yeah. Well, at least at least sixty, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I was like, oh, this isn't gonna work because I know at that age you want school to be fun for them. So I actually had a journal and I was like, okay, I'm gonna try to make this fun. So I started to like write little things to him and have him write back and like draw things and have him draw things back and it just became a thing and so my wheels in my head started turning i'm like this is it so i created a parent and child journal for parents who's trying to interact more with their children and to get them to learn without it being okay listen you're learning you're learning something new just for it to be more natural so that is one of the things that i incorporated um, and it has mindfulness activities in this journal book. Um, so I incorporated it for my family. And so believe it or not, my husband took one of the journals and actually using it for um, both of the boys. And I was, I was taken back, but I liked it. <laughs> that's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. Yes. So, so that's what I do in my household. You know, even though I do have therapeutic background, but... I always suggest to people, you find what works for your household. 
that's good because I know like for me when I leave work and I want to leave everything behind me um, as soon as I enter my car I probably sit in my car for a few minutes and just think about um, the last eight hours mm. right as soon as I put that car into drive and I turn on my music it's all gone I'm focused on the road I'm focused on the task at hand getting home alive safely and making sure that once I get home and I enter I'm in a better place and whatever stress I may have been from that day is gone, mm -hmm. right? And then when the gyms are open, because we're in lockdown, I'm guessing you may be as well, mm -hmm. um, that's where I did my most thinking. You know how some men will make the joke, oh, I, I do my best thinking on the toilet? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> For me, it was it was in the gym. And I, and I did that because I loved it. I felt like I was free. I felt I could be the person I wanted to be. And when you mentioned journaling, that reminded me of when I used to have this book. And what I would do is, um, because I'm a big fan of, of poetry. So I used to write some of my thoughts, but in a poetic way. Mm. And, I, and I kept all that. And then I realized this is what I used to tell some of my friends when it came to their goals. You don't realize how much you would appreciate something when you take it from your mind and you put it on paper and you can review it mm -hmm. it changes good. something about you like there's this experience that is so profound and to hear you say that and you and you market that and now your whole family is involved i think more people can should, can do that because a piece of paper won't ever judge you right Mm -hmm. um, the person, you may tell your parents something and they may make their face a certain way. They may react it a way that's off-putting, right? Even mm -hmm. as subtle as it may be, they may not intend it, right? But when you put thought to paper, there is no judge. When you're sitting in your room by yourself and you're just talking to this yourself, there is no judge. Mm -hmm. So do you think maybe as you're doing that with your household, do you think that's something that maybe we all need to do more of? Or maybe oh. not more of, but at least start to do it. Absolutely. And I love the way you said that there is no judge. And so going back to the journal, that is what it's about. So right now my child is younger, but I created this idea for parent and child for at, for also for pre-teens and teens. So this same journal can be used because, like you said, parents make faces, they seem judgmental, and there's no judge when you write. So if, you know, a child is not agreeing with what their parent is saying, they can listen. But have you ever felt shut down where you just want to say, but I want to tell my parent this and you can't, right? That's where that pen comes in. And the parent has to be have an open mind and an open heart when they're dealing with their child and the journal. Because once the child can take the journal and put it on their uh, nightstand or on their pillow at night, and the parent when the, can look at it and make a better assessment and have time to respond without the child being present and to really think about the positives and how they're trying to communicate with them. So this gives a longer time period and there's no judgment where the child can see right away. And then let the parents sit with it and think about how they'll respond, you know, instead of being in the moment. So I say that to say that you're absolutely right. More people should do more writing, especially with this going with the new year that's happening. I mean, we all had some things going on in 2020, whether it was good or whether it was absolutely horrible. 
um, you know, but you know, I think this year you want to find your gratitude to focus for 2021. You want to find those positive things. That's another tip that I'm giving you guys for your self-care. It's so important that you still pull gratitude out and you can journal it, like you said, and also give yourself those positive affirmations. So important to claim things, like something that you want. If you want a high paying job, claim it, believe it and say it. Look in the mirror and say, hey boss, you know, even if you're not, like that is so powerful and no one's around you. So you'll be judging yourself <laughs> in the mirror, okay? <laughs> But, you know, it's the power of the mind. I don't think people really understand how powerful the mind is because we focus so much on the body, which is great. It's I believe in the mind, body and soul. It's a connection. But people so forget about the mind, the, the main, the big meat. Well, it's not a big meat, but you understand what I'm saying. That important nugget that's there. Like we need to flex it and work it and understand it because that is how it things impact. You you can't move your arm without it going through your head, right? You can't run without the 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 signals coming from your brain and up and down. Like the mind is so important, and when you can trick yourself to say things that's not happening, you will be very very shocked what you talk yourself that's positive into doing. And I agree with you 100% because as I was becoming um, a manager on my journey there, I wanted it so bad and it was something that was on my mind all the time. I used to say, Tareen, you got to do this, you got to be this, you got to be this, you got to be this, right? And I took those thoughts from dreams into reality because it was always, it was always on my mind and it was always top of mind. It was always part of my day. It's the best way to describe it, right? Like there wasn't a moment, there wasn't a day that went by that I didn't say you're going to be this. And I think more of us need that affirmation saying that, you know what, if I want to be successful, say it, look yourself in the mirror and tell yourself, you know what, have that honest, direct conversation. I want to be this. What am I doing to achieve it? Right. And I, and not that I want to harp on it to those that are listening, but when it comes to the journal, these are things you can write your you can write things about yourself for yourself right you can say that you know what this is what i like about me today this is what i feel i need to improve tomorrow right because if you're going to if you're able to do it with your parents with a loved one with your spouse mm. with your children you should be able to do it with yourself because if you can't analyze yourself don't expect other people to know you better than you Facts. Absolutely. Like, is there something that you would recommend for that group of people that they want to improve, but they haven't had that type of conversation with themselves? We pretty much mentioned it. I mean, you just have to focus and write. So, um, and you can't listen to other people, okay? So, so people who are, I would say, timid and in the in the aspect of not really believing in themselves yet mm -hmm. i was that timid person who didn't believe in myself and what happened was i was just basically out in the world on my own <laughs> like i just was out there 
And I was just like, you know what? If I see if this person can do X, Y, and Z, I can why can't I do X, Y, and Z? Right? So it started there. It's just understanding that, yeah, it'll take time, but I'm gonna do this. Like I work just like everybody else work. I want things just like everybody else wants things. So what do I want to manifest in myself? What what do I want to believe in? And so I remember I was I was 23 years old. I was working for a company and then I had a part-time job. And at my part-time job, I was telling an older woman who was probably like 40 something. And I told her, I was like, you know what? I'm going to buy a house. And she looked at me and she said, girl, you can't buy no house. I'm 40 something years old and just not getting my credit together. And I'm like, so part of me was like, okay, she is doubting me, which I can understand. You know, her struggle is definitely her struggle. But that don't mean that I need to have her. Like, we're two different people. So I didn't listen. I, I heard what she was saying. I understood her perspective. But then I'm, I realized at that moment that, oh, this is some motivation. What she just said, doubting me, just motivated me to get it done. You know? So that I think that's it. Is that people have to take the negative things they hear and flip it to positive things. The, even the negative self-talk that people tell themselves, they have to flip it to positive. It's all about rewriting the script. So if you tell yourself you can't do anything, flip that and say, I can do it, right? If you hear people telling you you can't do anything, turn that to motivation and say, I'm about to prove them wrong. I'm going to do that, right? So it's just about really changing it, the negative things around you to positive. And what happens when you do that? most of that negativity moves away because then it realizes that you're not attracted to it. You know, it doesn't hang around you. But when you're negative and you don't see things in a positive light, you stay around and negativity always comes. There's negative things are around you. But you shine it out with positivity. We believe that's, that that train of thought with the negativity, how we let it manifest in, inside ourselves. Do you think that extends to our circle that we keep around us? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, it's definitely the circle. So I know for me, I realized that, you know, I always kind of kept negative people at bay, but there's different ways negativity comes out. So, you know, for, you know, me being a woman, a young woman, like I, I noticed that I, had been around people who were like very gossipy and you know you hit a certain point where it's just like I don't even want to what are we talking this ain't, listen if it ain't about my money I don't really want to hear this mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's how yes. I realized I changed because it was not I'm, I don't want to hit like okay I don't really care about that you know like I'm more concerned about my money <laughs> And I agree. And the reason why I mentioned that is I told this one person that actually works with me. And I told her that sometimes we keep um, people around us that maybe don't have a benefit because we get comfortable. And I told her, don't confuse comfort with the loyalty. 
And the reason why I said that is because you can have someone that you're comfortable with and you feel that you're loyal to them, but is that person loyal to you, right? If you were to make a change in your life, that's going to mean you're going to be successful. Are they going to support it? Or just like in your scenario, your example, they're going to say, well, you can't do that. I haven't been able to do that because someone else's struggle is not your struggle, right? Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, it's, it's all about our own change. And that's what everyone needs to focus on. It's how you can change. Because once you start changing, everything around you will start changing. So people who you think are in your corner will show that they're really not. But just be prepared that it's go- it may not look good. You know, like people may all of a sudden say things like, oh, you think you're better? Or, oh, why are you keeping secrets? Or, um, you know, you think you're better than us? You know, just the negative things come out and you have to be strong to just say, no, I'm just working on me and not take it personal. Because once you take it personal and then you start arguing, you just fell into their trap. You met negativity with negativity. That's not what you want to do. Is that something that maybe you've experienced? And if so, how did you overcome it? Um, As far as the negativity? Yes. I just focus on my goals. Just focus on my goals because when you have a uh, tunnel vision and you're just focused on one thing that other stuff leaves or it's not even uh it's not even anything to worry about you know like it just kind of dies down you know you know and then another thing too is that when you're trying to like even on the business aspect so entrepreneurs that's out there that is another big thing like as you're creating and branding and making a name for yourself and doing things in your business it's so important that you have that self-esteem that self-confidence that self-care um because it's a lot of disappointments when you're doing something on your own and if you don't have that confidence you're just going to break down and say forget it but if you learn and understand that it takes a lot of work to get what you want and keep going. And then sometimes you feel like you don't have support. And support is big when you're trying to do entrepreneurship. But my my uh, input on that from what I learned is you cannot worry about that. It will come. And outside people who don't even know you will probably support you more than the people who've known you for years. Because people don't, may not understand your vision. People may not know what it is that you're, what, what you're trying to do. And that's okay. It's okay. 